0: You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megidoradio.com. That's megidoradio.com. Welcome. It's Monday, the 17th of October, 2022. Second program of the day. So, um... This program won't be as long as the typical program. I've got about 40, 45 minutes to record this program. It'll be on the large catechism, probably enough time anyway. And we're going to do questions following the last time, last program, two programs ago, last program anyway on the large catechism. We were looking at question 158 and question 159. Not, I was not expecting to spend so much time on two questions, but I think it's it's so important, and it, it's a belief of mine, that one of the problems in the church, one of the, the many problems of today, is, you'd wonder, How many men currently occupying pulpits across the Western world, especially, have been sent by God? And it's an important thing. Has God sent you? And if God has sent you, if God has placed you there, what chance have your enemies got against you? The problem is, if you're constantly looking over your shoulder wondering does God want you or want you to in that role or or you're just doing it for the money. You're just like um, those hirelings in John chapter 10. You're really not sent. you don't really care about the, the flock. People going to the, I think this doesn't happen as much anymore. I'll be honest, like this, this is probably something that happened a couple of generations ago, maybe parts of Scotland, maybe Northern Ireland. It's not as, I don't know if the ministries ever been glamorous, but people would have went in there as um, in, in certain things because maybe it was the easiest path. They were the academic sort and they were Christian and they thought, well, I like to speak. I like to say th-, that they would go into it then. Not necessarily. And I think maybe a generation or two ago, that might have been the case. Today, well, really, the ministry is not really thought highly of anymore. And what we lack today is that you can have people going to the ministry who are not really, really called. That can happen, of course. But what we have today is a lack of maturity. Across the board. Now, if you are in a church and you've got a number of elders, you've got a number of deacons, praise God for that. No church is without its struggles and etc and so on. But we're at a point in history in the West, in many Western places, here where I am in Northern Ireland, in Scotland where we can continue going the direction we're going. And, and that can be in conservative churches that actually preach the gospel, but basically doing the bare minimum and continue to disappear into obscurity. Now, I know the gates of hell will not pre- prevail against the church. Absolutely. Amen, brother, if you're thinking that. But with what's happening when we're losing a whole generation of young people, when we're losing a whole generation to the world, surely this has to be a wake-up call. Surely there's God and his providence is saying something is wrong. So with all that said, it's so important who we have in the pulpits. It's so important who we have ruling elders. Now, I don't want to make it sound like you have to be a perfect person to preach. I'm certainly not a perfect person or a perfect person to be a ruling elder. But strive, strive to be as close as to God on this earth to be as holy as is possible to be holy for a sinless sin, uh, a sinful person to be holy will we fail absolutely will we strive to grow to feed our souls to learn from Christ and be changed and conform to the image of Christ you may say well today i'm not ready for you know, ministry ruling elder law. okay but maybe the Lord is calling you to positions or whatever. And maybe you're not ready today. But grow. If you saw a physical person who's not growing in the Lord, what would you think? Just say, right, you saw a child and of a certain height at four years old. And you come back to them ten years later. What do you expect to see? You still expect them to be a babe. It would be embarrassing maturity level. But it would be very... Really? The person is still acting... You know, they're 14 years old and they're still acting like a four-year-old? Be aghast, wouldn't you? So to to grow is normal. To grow is healthy. Uh, To grow... We're not, again, not perfect. You may be growing and everybody else sees it, but you maybe don't. So have you grown to a place where you're further along than you were perhaps five years ago or two years ago? The longer you're with the Lord, the longer you've been a Christian, it, it can be hard to see this. But strive. To serve the Lord, grow, strive to grow, to be more mature, and perhaps, perhaps, the Lord will have you serve as an officer, office bearer, or whatever. Maybe he won't, but at the end of the day, you'll be closer to the Lord, and whatever things you have turned your back on, sin. That would be wonderful because you have certain things that have been a barrier to your walk with Christ that you've you've gotten rid of. And you go wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? I no longer have that. I no longer have a love and an attachment to that. And then you embrace more of Christ. You learn more of Christ and you have a greater joy and love in your heart. And you just wonder one thing. Why didn't I do it earlier? To be convinced of these things, the glories of Christ and the Ugliness of sin, and that to put sin to death is a great thing. To put sin to death and to mature and to serve, not just to have the office, you know, to serve, to serve one another, regardless whether you have an office or not, to serve each other. And that could be just visiting. A lonely person in the church. And I say just. That's a wonderful thing by the way if you're doing that. That you care about people. You ring them up when you're just wondering how they're doing. You miss them. You care about them and you pray for them. And we want more maturity don't we in the church. And how are we going to have more maturity? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Question 160 of the larger catechism uh, in our final program for quite a long time. And if you're wondering why it is the final program for quite a long time, um, go back to the last episode, first few minutes. I'm not going to go through it all again. Um, The the short version is I received a call from a church. I'm going to be praying about it for a few weeks prior to it, and um, so no more programs, that's the short version. If you want the longer version about the wonderful news that I heard yesterday, why I'm doing two programs one after another uh, on this day, the last day I'll be doing programs for quite a while, um, possibly for six months, possibly for a year, we'll we'll see how, how the future pans out. Go back to the previous show and just at least listen to the first 10 minutes for that announcement. So, in case you're listening to this program and you haven't listened to anything else and you're, like, wondering, why hasn't he not posted? You might be listening to this six months later and be like, why hasn't he posted in months? Well, that's the reason. Okay. Question 160. What is required of those that hear the word preached? So, we talk about within our within the wider church, there's, there's a shortage of preachers. I think we'd all acknowledge that, but it's not just a shortage of preachers. There's also a shortage of ruling elders. And certainly a shortage of deacons. And there can be different reasons for this, but one of them is sometimes, there's, sometimes in churches people don't realize maybe the Godly men that they have around them. Um, I actually in our in our in our own church, we're gonna have elder, elder, ruling elder elections in a few weeks' time and there's a number of men. I think we're almost we're blessed with the men we have within the congregation. Um, sometimes we can forget, you know, we can, we can take people for granted around us. So I don't want us to think badly of, you know, why isn't the person next to you in the pew more godly, more sanctified? I, I, let, let us apply this to ourselves, first and foremost. Let us think of the best qualities of others. But in general, across the Western world, there is a lack of maturity. Generally speaking, not in every church, there's some wonderful churches. Filled with very mature, godly Christians. But in some, there might be more of a struggle to see where bearers will come from and things like that. So it just depends. And sometimes, and I say this time and time again, often, there are, if we would just but look and see, there's often tremendous qualities among people. Tremendous qualities. Um, in certain congregations, you just, you know, you spend time with people and you go, wow, I didn't realize that about them. You know, v- things that you find massively encouraging. Um, things that make you thankful to be a Christian. And so this, I'm talking now. See, I'm aware of, somebody might listen to this and become dissatisfied with their own church situation. Look for the good in others. Think the best of each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 to 7. Read that. Read it a number of times. Think the best of each other but in across the world. This isn't in any one specific place. There's a struggle to find offspers. It's not the first time this has happened. This isn't the worst time in history. Okay? And I want us to apply this to ourselves. How can this change? It's easy to lob grenades at others. But we've got to, first and foremost, apply these truths that we're going to look at in question 160 to ourselves. And then when we've applied it to ourselves, we're not going to think we're any better than anybody. Try and encourage other people. I was having a chat with a brother the other day and we were doing evangelism. And I said sometimes it's very easy just to give out about everybody who's not evangelism. Well, you could look at it another way. You just thank God for everybody who is there. Isn't it wonderful that that person came out praise God? They took time out of their day and they they came on handout tracks. Wonderful, <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Completely different, isn't it? Yet you may remember a time years ago for evangelism when there used to be 15 people, 20 people coming out for evangelism in certain places and now there's only four. Don't compare times. All I will say is just thank God for those people who do serve and encourage encourage others to come along. I'm sorry, but the worst thing you can do is just well you know what, nobody cares da, da, da. it's not going to encourage people in various aspects it's going to discourage them it's it's and it's just not going to help them bring them along and be be thankful for it be thankful for it and it'll change everyone's attitude to people as well it will So what is required of those to hear the word preached? Because this is what's going to really change us. Question 160. Going to mature us and change us and conform us to the image of Christ. How we respond to the word preached. Answer. It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence. Preparation and prayer. Examine. What they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. It's not just sit, leave, or even, may I say, think, Ugh, well, he wasn't the best speaker or whatever. No, no, no. Our responsibility as we sit under the word, regardless of the imperfections of mere dust that anybody delivering the message is, our responsibility is to attend it with the diligence to be there. Prepare our hearts to pray beforehand and after and pray for the preaching. Do you pray for your, your minister? Do you pray for the ruling elders? Do you pray for the deacons? Um, but pray for the preaching of the gospel. Pray for the preaching of the sermon or sermons on the Sabbath day. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. So don't just, well, so-and-so said this, therefore, that's it. No, no, you take what you hear and you go, hmm, that's interesting. I've never heard of that before. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Maybe you just never heard that before. And then you go home, read it, and compare it with the scriptures. Is this consistent with the scriptures? Be a Berean. Examining these things. Receive the truth with faith. Um, We can receive the truth without faith, and that's not a good way at all. We, We come with skepticism. We come with... We could say the eyes of the world, and that's not a good way to be. We we re, we are to receive the truth when it is the truth with faith. If it's not the truth, well, faith is not to trust that. It says love meekness. We are Christians are to be meek, meek. We may forget this in the in the current culture wars and other things like that. Um, in our Attempts to score a point over the left. But we are to be meek. And readiness of mind. Readiness of mind. We don't park our mind at the door. We think. As the word of God. We're to listen to it. We're listening to the voice of God, the voice of the shepherd, and we love to hear his voice. Meditate, to think about it over and over again. Confer on it. Hide it in our hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in our lives. Don't just store the information you hear in your brain, and it goes no further. That will condemn you. That won't bless you at all with more that is taught to you, the more that is expected. There's a possibility in your life that if your Christian walk, as you feel, is stalled, is going stale. Could one of the reasons be for this that you are not applying the truth you hear from the pulpit and perhaps you're cherry-picking the things that you like or agree with. Sometimes you will hear something and it make, may even make you angry in the in the pew. But ask yourself the question, is it something taught in the Scriptures? And if it is something taught in the Scriptures, bow the knee to it. And it will be the most wonderful thing. When you turn away from that which is not good to that which is sweet, that which is wonderful, that which is glorious. Question 161. How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? Now, by this question, we do not mean you partake of the sacraments like in the Roman Catholic Church and therefore you're going to be a saved person. Because you've partaken of it and you haven't, committed some mortal sin or something like that. This is not what this is talking about at all. The answer given here, and you see, we've, unfortunately, we've kind of emptied in the West for centuries out of fear for what happened in the Roman Catholic Church, in certain Protestant circles. We're so afraid of what happened with Roman transubstantiation and them the Roman Church saying that it is the literal, actual body and blood of Christ. It's no longer wine the fruit of the vine it is now the blood of christ and no longer bread it is now the body of that abuse so they they become almost emptied of their means they become almost empty signs and nothing more when they are effectual means of grace amazing blessings the answer gives in the larger catechism here it says that sacraments become effectual means of salvation not by any power in themselves. Now it's not the bread and the fruit of the vine or the cup. As It says, we well, actually better use scriptural terminology as a brother of mine reminded me about a year ago. The bread and the cup. It's not by anything of themselves or any virtue derived from the piety or intention of him by whom they are administered. So you may have been baptized by an unbeliever. That does not mean your baptism is invalid. That's kind of what that's getting at. And that really kind of goes go right back to the Donatus controversy around the time of Augustine. Um, whether or not, you know, somebody's an unbeliever, turns out to be an unbeliever later on, is that still valid? And it is. It is. You know, the the, the sacraments are really administered by the true church. Uh, like And based upon that as well, I would reject Roman Catholic baptism, by the way. It's not here it dealt with, but I would reject Roman Catholic baptism. I know some Protestants would embrace it because it's Trinitarian and a couple of other reasons. I get the argument. I think they'll sometimes quote from Calvin. I think Cal- it's, it's difficult to quote from Calvin because Calvin is kind of speaking pre-Trent Rome as opposed to post-Trent Rome. I think. Calvin died like a year or two after Trent ended, really. So it's really hard to know how Calvin would have approached it. And doesn't mean Calvin got everything right. The, the, the church... And by the way, I kind of agree with Calvin of the day. There are many somewhat apostate denominations out there, Church of Scotland, things like that, but they haven't officially denied the faith. And if they've been baptized in a church that hasn't denied the gospel entirely, I would see their their baptism as valid. But if it's in a church that denies the gospel, there's not a church, well, it's not a church then. Now, so question 161. So they become effectual means of salvation, not by any power themselves, not by the, the bread and the cup itself, or any virtue derived from the piety and intention of the one in whom they are administered. A is like, you know, one title. Lord willing that I'll have in the future is minister of word and sacrament. And you know, like, that's kind of what, you're a minister of word and sacrament um, as a preacher, as a teaching elder or, or a pastor. Well, you're one of a number of pastors, really. Um, But only by the working of the Holy Ghost. It's by the Spirit of God that they're effectual. And the blessing of Christ by whom they are instituted. These sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, have been given for the blessing of the church. so. When you see someone baptized, the gospel is being set before you. And the Spirit of God, it's all by the Spirit of God. Again, it's all by faith. A person that is without faith is a covenant breaker and is under the wrath of God. He's under greater condemnation because of they've been covenant-breaking. You know, everybody's under the wrath of God if they're without belief. A person who comes to the Lord's Supper shows that Christ feeds his people. And they feed upon him. Spiritually, just in case there's any misunderstandings there. Spiritually feeding on him. There's spiritual benefits. And even when you go to see somebody else being baptized, the gospel is set before you and if you believe what it signs and seals that as surely as this water washes away the, the filth of from off your skin so Christ by his blood by faith and by faith alone will wash you clean from your sins. If you trust in Christ then this is a picture of what has happened in your soul. Christ has washed you. And he's brought you into union and sweet fellowship and communion with Christ Jesus. That's baptism. And then it continues on by you being fed and nourished and strengthened by Christ. However, if you come to the Lord's Supper without faith, in Christ, not the bread, not the cup itself as things of themselves. But in Christ, who's signed and sealed, they point towards Christ. You know, if you're traveling toward somewhere, if I'm traveling towards Belfast or Dublin, I don't get the signpost mixed up with the location itself. These are signs, they're pointing toward Christ. And they're sealing as well. They're seals of the promises of God. They're there to strengthen us and encourage us and bless us. And this is through the church. You can't get this blessing from any other institution on this earth. We undervalue the church so much today. And it can happen through... Often good parachurch organizations. I'm going to get my little parachurch organization rant out of the way. Um, There's a lot of parachurch organizations I really like. And I'm not saying I would never join them or anything. But your first commitment must be the local church. But the danger sometimes with parachurch organizations, they often take many of the places that really the church should be doing try and encourage within your church patiently lovingly to do those functions you think well you know, it's that and the other it needs to be done well it doesn't happen overnight and a lot of these parachurch organizations can fall apart some of them are some of them are great you know some of them are fantastic but they can become so big and take on a life of their own, and then we value them more than the church. You know, the, the, this, the church with five or ten people is far more important than the online ministry with thousands, or hundreds of thousands, or the... the conference event with big numbers. I'm not against these things. These things have their purpose. They can be great encouragement. You know, I plan to go to something on. The parachurch organizations I typically like are ones that are, you know, the, the, the board of trustees, banner's a good example, you know, board of trustees come together and they have their local church commitments first and foremost, but they're helping each other in a cooperative way. And I think because they're reformed and a lot of the men, there's a good balance there. So I think that's a good example. And there's other good examples as well. But we just got to be, I suppose, not really an anti church organization thing, but to have our priorities right. First and foremost, we need to be giving to to the church. A local church. Not just financially. Financially, yeah, too. But giving of ourselves. Sacrificially. How, what will it do? Imagine you are... Imagine the baby. And this is what... I think this happens a lot today. Babies who... Obviously, this is a spiritual picture. Imagine that rather than getting nourished in the, in the bosom, Of its mother. It tries to get nourishment elsewhere. And while the nourishment may be good still to a degree. What does it do to the development of that baby? Well it's going to harm them. It's not going to be as beneficial to them. And the nourishment. And the strengthening. That baby would get in the bosom of. Mother. Now, the mother, here is the church. Now, if you have a quibble with that, you know, uh, that's a Calvin's view, and also Galatians chapter 3. I think it's G- Galatians chapter 3, where it talks about um, the Jerusalem above, which is the mother of us all, referenced in Galatians. You need to be nourished. Yes, by Christ, but Christ uses means. Not just yet. If you read your Bible at home, praise God. Wonderful. And you should. You should you know, read and pray at home as individuals. And I, I say this to you because if you're probably listening to this, you're probably the kind of person who is good at devotions. I say this because, you know, typically people who will listen to podcasts, this is not usually an area they struggle with. Usually. Not always. You may be a person who does struggle with this. And, you know, that start off with one chapter twice a day, morning and evening, and start building up. And read a little bit more. And start off with a little bit of prayer, and then pray a little bit more, and then pray a little bit more. Maybe make lists of people to pray for in the church and things like that. But often, what will happen sometimes with people who maybe listen to podcasts is maybe participation within the church especially today, can be poor, and you think that your spiritual diet will be met here. It, it, it won't. And I'm thankful if this program has been a blessing at all over the last 11 years. Um, but I would never, ever want it to take the, posi- the place of your minister and the church. It's a nice little supplement, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully it's a good supplement, but it's nothing more. Nothing more. Just like reading, you read Christian books. You wouldn't say, well, I don't need to go to church anymore because I'm reading a Christian book. And I'm happy to attempt to answer some questions here and there. Let me at gmail.com. Although, I'll be honest, I'm not going to be out really on that much. Um, I'm going to be... I'm probably going to be offline, spending very, very little time on. I think the only thing uh, that will be happening for the next few months will be sermon audio. Just check out sermon audio. Sermons will be posted there, but that's really it. There won't be any radio programs by that way. Um, The next question we're going to look at and how are we doing for time? Okay, this might be the last question we look at. Question 162, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is an holy ordinance instituted by Christ in his church to signify, we could kind of pointed at that earlier, signify, seal, and exhibit unto those who are within the covenant of grace the benefits of his mediation, to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces, to oblige them to obedience, to testify and cherish their love, And communion one with another, and to distinguish them from those who are without. So let's go through that. What is a sacrament? And the sacraments are so important to the life of the church. They really are. It is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. It's important because Christ gave it to the church. And what is it there to do? It's there to signify, basically, to. Put into signs or to point towards something, to seal. Um, you get a seal at the end of a document to confirm, to 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 strengthen, to alleviate our doubts towards the promises. And also, it says here to exhibit unto those that are within the covenant of grace. It is to exhibit to those within the covenant of grace outside of the covenant and without outside of faith. These will not benefit you. And the benefits of his mediation. So baptism, the picture given there is the, ba- the, the, the benefits of his mediation, you will be washed clean. And you'll be brought into union with him. If we look at Colossians chapter 2, Galatians, Colossians. Okay, so chapter two, verse. We we'll do eleven and twelve. So in Him you were also. So this is all about union in Christ. In Him. You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And this is talking about spiritual, without hands. Not physical, because it's without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. Now because of this union with Christ, you're buried with him in baptism. Because baptism is a picture of union with Christ. Buried with him in baptism. Now we also have to picture it as well. Jesus was put into a tomb. He wasn't put underneath the ground, but I digress. You know, he was. Anyway, we can get into the symbolism there in a while. But buried with him in baptism, it's all about we lived with him. We died with him. You were circumcised. You know, we putting off circumcision made without hands, putting off the flesh by virtue of being brought into union with him by virtue of spiritual baptism. which is about union with Christ, buried with him in baptism. In which you were also, it's not about being buried, this idea. In which you were also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. In which, in this union with Christ, in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the working of God. And that's what it's a picture of. And to be brought into union with Christ You need to be washed. And by by being brought into union with Christ, his righteousness clothes you. So um, they exhibit, they show, they point towards, they sign and seal the benefits of Christ being your mediator. And if Christ is your mediator, and if you look to him with the eye of faith... The the sacraments they set before you, the benefits of being a Christian, they remind you of the wonderful glories they put in front of you, visibly, the old divines would say sensibly, the senses, you know, the, the sight, the touch, the taste, everything, that you belong to God. That God is the one, Christ strengthens you. And because he is your mediator, you have all these wonderful benefits and you're being reminded of them because you will forget them. And that's why the sacraments are so wonderful. And it's there. You say, I I don't have strong enough faith to participate in the sacraments. If you have faith of a mustard seed, they are there to strengthen your faith. The, The biggest danger we have sometimes is presenting the sacraments in such a way that you have to get to some Hyper spiritual level before you can come to Christ. Have you come to Christ? Are you looking to Him? Are you trusting in Him? Re- regardless how wobbly you are in your feet, no matter how weak your faith may be, the sacraments are there to strengthen, increase your faith. They're there for the weakest of Christians. They're there for us all who are. Looking to Christ. They're there for all those who are members of the church. To oblige them to obedience. This is the whole idea. So you've been washed. You've been brought into Christ. So your life is. You belong to him. And therefore you follow him. And in in the Lord's Supper. you, You depend upon him. He is your life. Without food you die. And you depend upon him, you're strengthened by him, you're sustained by him, and you then are strengthened by him to go out to testify, it says here, and to cherish their love. It sets it's it's a these are pictures, these are tokens of love for the people of God and communion with one another. You, you know, we come around one, as one, around one table, as one body. Sharing life, with yes, with Christ, but also with one another. And dear friends, the table of the Lord, the sacraments, should bring us together. Often they haven't. And that's our fault. And the devil would love for you to pick on the minutiae of the non-essential elements of the sacrament and to cause division. Yes, we need, need the bread and the cup. You need the fruit of the vine, and you need the bread. And you need it to be with the Word. But all the other things, it's really there to unite us together, that we belong to one body, nourished by one body, Christ, we're nourished by him, washed by him. And we have all of us sharing these same blessings, who look toward him, to distinguish him from those who are without. Yeah, there's a warning as well. There's a fencing at the table. There's a warning that those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ, those who are still slave of their sin, must not and should not come to the table of the Lord, or else they will pour more wrath upon their own heads. They'll bring condemnation. That's what it will do. And that's what it will do. said, so what are the parts of a sacrament? I think we'll leave it with this. Question 163. What are the parts of a sacrament? The parts of a sacrament are two. The one outward and sensible sign. Sensible is in terms of the senses, not the way we understand senses to sensible today. Sensible, you say, oh, he's a very sensible man. He's good with his money. He puts money in the bank. That's not what it means here. Sensible things are the senses, the smell, the touch, the taste, all that, that. They are your senses, and this is what it means by a sensible sign. It's not saying, well, this is a wiser sign than something else, in case anybody gets confused. Um, the parts of a sacrament are these two. The one outward and sensible sign, used according to Christ's own appointment, and the other, an inward and spiritual grace, Thereby signified. So, really, there's two parts of a sacrament. You think the outward and sensible sign, you know, the washing, the the outwardness, you know, the, the you know, we could say the washing or the baptism, and 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 it's something that God does to the sinner. It, you know, the water is applied to. The person being baptized. It doesn't have to be a baby. It could be sometimes it's an adult coming in, you know, hasn't been raised in a Christian home and upon profession of faith. If it's an adult, if it's a covenant child and of one believing parent, then that child is, is, is covenantally holy. It doesn't mean they're born again necessarily, but they're to be raised in the Christian faith. They're covenant children. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Um, But these signs, so the outward sensible element of it, that's important as well, used according to Christ's own appointment, the other an inward and spiritual grace thereby signified. So, and this spiritual grace is all to do with, well, it's been instituted by Christ We're obeying Christ in participating of this. And by faith in the Christ who instituted these things, we are blessed, we are nourished, and we are strengthened in these things. Now, we must. Now, is there blessings in the preached word? Amen. But there's a wonderful closeness and tenderness that you get in the sacraments, in the Lord's Supper. I can't remember where this quote comes from. I think Joel Beeke quotes it a number of times that, you know, you don't get a different Christ in the sacraments, but you get Christ better. I can't remember where he quoted from him. I One of my favorite preachers is Joel Beakey, by the way, and uh, um, probably one of the preachers has been one of the biggest influences on me over the last, since I became a Christian, really. One of the reasons I'm actually Reformed, so hopefully... Dear friends, hopefully that has been a blessing. Um, hopefully it's been encouraging. Hopefully there have been... We're... The church in the West, we're going through a tough time. A lot of churches are going through tough times. Numbers are getting smaller. The enemies look like they're gaining influence. And, and in a panic, some are going toward outside, non-church-run things. The authority of the church is getting, it seems to be getting weaker in certain parts. Certain parts. I see, by the way, I've seen lots and lots of wonderful exceptions to this, where things are done right. Does, this is not across the board, but this is a general trend, and and it's, you know, it's a harder time to be a Christian today than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever the case may be. We need strengthening. we need encouragement. we need to be built up. don't f- we, we need to like not go to a com- with a consumer mentality toward the church. We need Christ. We need to be nourished in we need to be nourished in the bosom of the church. Where the, where the gospel is preached, faithfully. Applying these things to our lives, prayerfully meditating upon them, uh, comparing them with scripture, being blessed by the sacraments, seeing Christ better than before, feeling closer to him, uh, being encouraged of his presence in the most difficult end trying times there's so many more things i would love dearly love to say to you dear friends and i thank you so much for your support over the years when will the program be back i don't know it could be summer of 2023 that's probably the earliest but please keep me in your prayers as i pray about the call that i mentioned earlier and that god would be glorified in all these things thank you so much for listening all the way through this program. You have a lot of patience listening all the way through this program, and I thank you for your your support for however much it's been over the years. God bless you all. It's been Paul Flynn.